Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. This is, program is Everything Cooperative. program is brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. You know, the National Cooperative Bank uh, provides this program so that you can find out the benefits of cooperatives. We believe that this is the bank and myself, that the more you know about cooperatives, the more you want to both buy from them, perhaps even start one on your own to solve some community problem. But Mr. Chuck Snyder said that he's the president of the National Cooperative Bank. He said co-ops are nothing but people helping people. And this morning, we have Equal Exchange is a cooperative, a worker cooperative in Massachusetts. And did you know that 48 women are raped every hour in the Congo? This is what a study found. Every minute, there's a woman that has facing sexual harassment in the Congo. And what can you do about it? Well, Equal Exchange is doing something about it, and they're doing things, something about things all over the world. And this morning we have Mr. Rodney North on the phone. Good morning, Rodney. Well, he was there. We'll see if he'll get back on. Hello. Hey, oh, great. Yeah, hi, Vernon. Uh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> thank you for being on. And thank you for all that you all do all over the world, which we want to talk about today. And maybe we can tell our listeners some of the things that they can do to help the women in the Congo and other people around the world. Tell I'm me, really looking forward to that. Okay. How did you get involved in co-ops? Well, this is a kind of funny thing, and it, I think it's indicative of how a lot of people first encounter a co-op, which is that they weren't necessarily looking for it. So in my case, coming out of college, I was really interested in you know, the, the stark poverty in the global south, places like the Caribbean, Latin America. And I heard about Equal Exchange, this very unusual company that had pioneered this thing called Fair Trade, which we'll talk about more, uh, where as a coffee company, it was voluntarily paying more to these small-scale farmers, these farmers who were always, you know, kind of uh, squeezed by the market, you know, that they were – Dirt poor, uh, just as they had been for a hundred years, and there was always other people in the coffee industry who were making the money. And Equal Exchange was doing something about that and voluntarily paying more to these small farmers to help them get out of poverty, and that attracted me. What I didn't understand was that Equal Exchange was, you know, air quotes, a cooperative um, that it was owned and governed by its own employees. And even after I arrived, that didn't really mean much. It's seemed nice. It didn't seem critical. But the longer that I was here, by the way, I arrived back in 96, so uh, getting close to 19 years ago. So after I'd been here a while, I began to appreciate and then really get excited about what it meant to be a part of a worker cooperative where we, the employees, owned the business. We all owned it in equal stakes. You know, the founder and the new woman in the warehouse all had one share of stock. And that we were applying, you know, cherished democratic principles to business. You know, typically democracy sort of stays in the voting booth or um, in the political campaigns. We don't apply democracy day to day, but here at Equal Exchange, we actually do. So let me, let me uh, just so make sure I understand. Right, let me make sure I understand that you got into it for your own value system of trying to help. Poor folks, poor farmers. You were looking. This is right out of college, you said. Yes. So you're looking, and so you're you're what you want to do with your life is to help people that are underserved. And right, people for whom the system doesn't work, and I think a lot of us and a lot of your listeners, they'll, they'll know what I mean. Uh, we, certainly today we talk a lot about the one percent and the ninety nine percent, 
And like these small farmers in places like uh, uh, Jamaica or Peru, they're the 99%. You know, the, the marketplace doesn't work for them, and that's why they're poor no matter how hard they work. And Equal Exchange was trying to change that. So th- these poor farmers, the marketplace you're talking about is the capitalistic marketplace, I would say. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, I'll say uh, up front that it's because some people will read into what I'm saying and they may misunderstand. We're not saying that capitalism per se is evil. Uh, rather, just that it's indifferent. Um, it's not trying to achieve any particular kind of moral end. Um, and that indifference can allow a lot of bad things to happen, a lot of suffering. Um, and equal exchange is saying, hey, wait a minute, just because the marketplace is encouraging us, the coffee company, to pay really low prices, we're just not going to. Um, like if you could hire somebody for a nickel to mow your lawn, you might not because it just feels bad. And you go like, no, you know, I'm going to pay you $10 to mow my lawn because that's just the decent thing to do. And likewise, at Equal Exchange and other fair trade enterprises, we were saying, like, we're going to apply the golden rule and treat others as we would want to be treated. Um, we just happen to be lucky, right? We're here in the north in a rich country where we have a lot of the, the control and we're going to voluntarily you know, spread the economic pie you know, from our coffee business differently so that these other people have a chance. Uh, and maybe we'll talk more about this or you'll talk about it in a later show. Interestingly, we found that the best way we could help was to work with these small-scale farmers who had come together into farmer cooperatives um, such that they would have you know, the strength of numbers and that a hundred you know, men and women or a thousand men and women together could begin to change their circumstances and we would meet them halfway as a friendly business partner. Thankfully, it's really caught on. You know, we're going to get a, this fair trade. Uh, I think we're going to go right there because when you talk about the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated, um, this, has not, this program has been on about 14 months now and so this is the first time that phrase has been talked about but um, a couple weeks ago, um, a lady from Cabot Cheese said that being in a co-op is uh, karma building. Uh, that, that So it's a similar kind of thing as, as you're doing, as you're treating people better and better, as you're helping other folks, then it helps. It also helps you. Um, so so yeah. tell me what this fair trade is about. Yeah, so, well, as I alluded to, so the founders of Equal Exchange were three young men here in the Boston area in the 1980s, and they were working in the, the food distribution business. But also they were politically aware. Some of them had traveled abroad, and they could see that the, the harder and harder that they pushed to secure potatoes or wheat or coffee or bananas for a low price, that there was a consequence, you know, that the less – and this is the nature of the marketplace, right? They, they were distributors. They wanted to buy low and sell for more. Uh, they, by the way, were working within uh, a cooperative enterprise, which meant that they were exposed to this, this other philosophy. And um, they were trying to serve their customers, which were you know hundreds and hundreds of small stores around uh, New England. And uh, they realized that the more they tried to secure you know cheap uh food and ingredients for these stores, that that was putting downward pressure on the incomes of farmers. And they wanted to bring the welfare of the farmers into the picture so that the farmers didn't bear the brunt of this dynamic. Um, They realized that there were some other people in the world, especially in in Europe, who were pioneering this idea called fair trade, where you would voluntarily pay small-scale farmers uh, more, and you would go seek out farmer cooperatives in particular, uh, as your suppliers, because farmers need more than just a better price. If you're a small-scale farmer, you have maybe five acres, um, uh, you're, you're just like a, a minnow in the ocean. You have no leverage. But when the farmers come together into groups, they begin to get some leverage. If they get big enough, they can actually do their own exporting, and they get a lot more control over what's happening more business control, they get more information, they have more leverage to negotiate. So these three young men, Michael, 
Jonathan and Rink, uh, went off on their own, created their own business, uh, decided that they would source uh, coffee, among other things, uh, from small-scale farmers, and they would they would they would enact this what was then a new idea called fair trade. Um, that was now over 28 years ago. It's worked. It's worked for us. Um, the fair trade idea eventually caught on. You can now go into some McDonald's or even a Walmart and find a fair trade product. And they've grown our own business, uh, a worker cooperative, into one of the largest in North America. So this was about 86 they had this idea. Yeah, so the idea you know, went earlier, but it was in 86 when they really went off on their own, opened the doors to this new business. Equal exchange. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating because 86 is when I came to Washington, D.C., so I have a real good sense of how long ago that was and how well they have done this business. So so fair trade is really paying a fair price or even more than a fair price, and somebody has to decide what fair is. I like your idea yeah. of five cents, yeah, cut, your cut your grass, where the marketplace is saying $10 or something. You rather, Even if they ask $5, you say no to the right price to pay in this in this market is ten dollars. I'm gonna give you the ten. Uh, right. So uh, the w there's a whole lot of details we can get into, and and the way fair trade is um, defined or or, or um, uh, codified will vary between different crops. It's one formula for bananas and something different for coffee or tea, but the gist of it is that. Uh, there is a floor that is set for a given crop, a floor price. So it's equivalent to a minimum wage. Mm -hmm. um, there's that or the market. Now, we hear about the oil market. You know, it's at $48 a barrel. It's $100 a barrel. It's, it's fluctuating all the time. And this is happening for every commodity, pork bellies, corn futures, coffee, and, and other things. And so if um, the coffee world price for coffee is down, and often it is, the farmers are protected because we're going to bid this insurance policy uh, knowing that equal exchange is going to pay them this higher price. Now, if the coffee price spikes, which it does periodically, well, then they win again because we're going to pay them that, that market price. The market mm -hmm. price or the floor, whichever is higher, the point is that to protect it against these you know, periodic recurring busts you know, where the price of their commodity has just gone through the floor. Um, and in that way, there's more stability for them, which helps them to get out of poverty, helps them to make plans. Also, it means we're sharing risk. Uh, usually the farmer is taking all the risk. It's not Folgers or Starbucks. It's, you know, the farmer on a hillside in Peru who is wondering, like, is the rain going to come this year? Or, you know, is our bugs going to eat my crop? Um, so in this case, through things like the guaranteed uh, floor prices and other mechanisms, we're shifting some of the risk to equal exchange uh, because we're, frankly, in a better position to bear the risk. And again, even though the market would have us, you know, let the farmer be on the hook, um, we just don't think that's right. Okay. So we take some of the risk, and lo and behold, they really appreciate it. There's all kinds of benefits that we get because we've done right by these farmers we partner with. You know, done right is what I'm hearing you say, and that's you were looking to do right when you came out of college. You found Equal Exchange. They were looking to do right for uh, people around the world, and you all came together and you found about a co-op. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about this co-op model uh, when we get back. Please don't touch that now. We'll be right back. 1450 WOL. You know, when we left off, we were talking about doing right, the golden rule, uh, treating others as you would like to be treated. And we have Mr. Rodney North from Equal Exchange on the line with us this morning. And he was looking for somewhere to, to work in his world that he could do right by, by people. And he found Equal Exchange. And it was started in, in 1986. Uh, where these three people wanted to do right by smaller farmers uh, throughout the world, pay them a fair price. And so that's what we're talking about. 
But before, now we want to talk about co-ops. And so let me start with a definition. A co-op is any business. Any business you can think about is a, can be a cooperative. The difference is who owns it. And uh, if the employees own it, it's called a worker co-op. And that's what equal exchange is. And we're going to talk more about that this segment. Yeah. And if it's owned by the people that buy the products or services, it's called a consumer co-op. And you can get into a couple other co-ops, a producer co-ops, and a lot of times farmers, they come together, as Rodney was talking about, to sell their products. Um, and the other one, is it called a marketing co-op, uh, Rodney, where you come together so you well, buy? Well, there's a, there's a whole, actually a whole host of different types. Of, so one, okay, people probably have heard of Ace Hardware or True Value. These are cooperatives. In this case, it's your local mom-and-pop hardware store. They are members of a much bigger organization, probably includes thousands of other mom-and-pop retailers, you know, in big cities and small towns. Together, they own this thing called Ace Hardware. And together, that can build a brand. They can do group purchasing. So it's not one store trying to buy shovels and screwdrivers. It's a 1,000 stores. So they have much better, you know, economies of scale. It allows them to compete against the Home Depots and the Lowe's. Uh, Best Western, same concept, but applied to motels. Um, actually, the Associated Press is a cooperative. You know, it is owned by news agencies, newspapers, radio stations, etc. You know, around uh, North America. Together, they own this this big thing called AP. So, and of course, there's credit unions. Um, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of a, you know, the money of Americans deposited in your local credit union. They can be small, they can be big, like the, you know, the Navy Federal Credit Union. And so this concept can be applied to almost uh, every kind of enterprise. So equals change is a worker co-op. Yes, and that is the least common of all forms of co-ops. So whereas uh, almost every American community has a credit union, um, there are only 300 worker co-ops in the United States. That's out of over 330 million people. So, you know, there's less than one worker co-op for every million people. And, um, and, and also these uh, are smaller, smaller businesses. We have about 150 employees, which makes us uh, second biggest. 150 employees? Yeah. And, you know, when you're talking about everything from the local gas station to General Motors, you know, we're what you call a small business. But in the world of uh, co-ops, we're, you know, a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Mm-hmm. Um, and, by the way, Recently, there has been a PBS documentary called Shift Change. Uh, it's actually aired in the Washington, D.C. area uh, this past summer. Um, it may be airing again in 2015. And it's a great one-hour documentary. We happen to be in it. I happen to be in it. And it introduces people to this idea of workers owning and controlling their enterprise. Well, I'd like to get a see that one. I'd love to see it. So out of your 150 employees, um, do they all own a portion of the business? You said that there's one share. Each employee has a share of stock, and it doesn't make any difference whether they're in management or janitorial staff. There's only one share of stock. So how many people in there own the business? Uh, right now it's 117, and you out of the 150. Now, because employees get to be owners, there's a two-step process. It isn't like, oh, hey, hi, you're the new salesperson. Here's your share of stock. It's not that simple. We want to be sure that you're ready to assume the responsibilities of ownership and to be a co-owner with the rest of us. So your first year is a probationary year, and we have an intensive education program so that even as you're doing your day job, you know, stocking shelves or you know, selling coffee and tea, uh, periodically you're getting lessons and instruction about what is a co-op, what are the responsibilities, how do you exercise your rights as a worker owner,
do you get involved? And the new employees getting a feel for this, seeing if they like it, we're also getting a chance to assess them. And then at the end of their year, uh, their supervisor and also a mentor. Um, when, you're, when you arrive, we assign you a mentor from some other department who uh, would help you with all. Uh, they're not going to help you with their job. They're going to help you with to get acclimated to this idea of a worker cooperative. So at the end of 12 months, your mentor and your supervisor will make a statement, uh, basically a uh, it's like an endorsement, um, like, you know, this is why I think Betty would make a really great new member of our co-op. I encourage you to vote for Betty. We vote, and consistently uh, we get good candidates, and so we vote Betty in, and she gets to be the newest member. And at that point, um, she will buy her stock and become the newest member of the cooperative and get all the rights uh, that go with that. So she has to buy her stock. Sure. Um, it's not a very big price tag. It's roughly $3,500, and most people do it through payroll deductions over a period of years, so that's just not a big price at any one time. And the way this mechanism works will vary co-op to co-op. Some, some cooperatives have a six-month probationary period, there's one which is very successful, very um, uh, durable. Uh, that cooperative has a five-year waiting period, um, and depending, some people have a, just a one-dollar purchase of stock. Um, it's just a nominal transaction. But also, I know cooperatives, especially in Europe, where you may have to pay you know fifty thousand dollars for your share of stock. So it depends on the type of business. Uh, that they're in. But, but I was just thinking of in Italy, these, these are manufacturing businesses that have, you know, tens of millions of dollars of equipment uh, and lots of inventory, lots of buildings. And so they don't give up a share of stock uh, easily. And that's why the buy-in price is so high. But uh, the, these are just the particulars which can vary co-op to co-op depending upon the circumstances. I guess 3500 is not too bad if you could take it out over uh, time on your payroll. And you have sure. a, a, a large training, you said, and a mentor. Yeah, and in exchange for well, at, when you become an owner, and this would be true for any business, you then have a claim on a share of the profits. You also have to bear a share of the losses. You know, the formula goes both ways. And we have consistently been profitable been profitable 25 the last 26 years and we find that uh, when you get your share of profits which is called patronage in the co-op world that um, most people are able to pay for their share of stock within you know 18 24 months okay so, you know, they they get a very good return on their investment at least knock on wood um, if we continue to be as successful as we have been so far so you're looking to do the right thing coming out of college, <clears throat> and these three people started Equal Exchange to do the right thing toward smaller farmers throughout the world. You even make money. <laughs> you can still make money to where the individuals that own this property, that own the business, the 117 of you right now that own it, even give it, you get your salary and you get a dividend, 25 of the 26 years. It's always amazing to me that the model is so fantastic, and the people in the in the business are the ones that are getting wealth generation. It's like, why aren't there more of these? Uh, that's a really interesting question, which we talk about a lot in the worker cooperative world. Um, I think there's a whole host of reasons why there aren't more. For one thing, it it works really well for the workers. Mm -hmm. you know, that's the purpose. You know, a, a cooperative serves its members. In this case, we, the workers, are the members. Um, now, most people, most entrepreneurs, they can go make more money doing something else. Um, and it was just due to the the goodwill um, and the high ideals of the founders of Equal Exchange that they decided that, no, we're, 
they didn't do that. Um, and they clearly would be wealthier had they done that. Except, and there's a big caveat, we might not have been as successful as we are mm-hmm. if we had had a conventional business. Um, we're going to take another break, so we're going to come back okay. and talk about that success as a business and what's the difference in as, as a worker co-op. Yeah, they're very much interlinked. Okay. Fascinating. I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. If anybody out there would, has a question or a comment, if you're enjoying it, you just call us up and tell us or with any questions, you can call 1-800-450-7876. The National Co-op Bank is providing this service to you, supporting it, so you'll know more about cooperatives so that you can buy from them and or start one yourself. We'll be right back. 1450 WOL. Welcome back. This is Vernon Oaks talking to you about cooperatives. We talk everything about these cooperatives and why they work, why they're successful. And we have Rodney North from Equal Exchange on the line with us today. And when we left off, we were talking about what makes these cooperatives, worker cooperatives, successful. Rodney, you want to talk to us about, uh, you're saying these, these three people started this. They could have made more money, perhaps, if they had started a normal capitalistic where they own 100% of the business and hired workers, but they chose to do a cooperative. And because of that, they may have been even more successful than if they had chosen a normal route. So what, what's the difference? What causes that? Thing? Yeah. So when a lot of people look at equal exchange, they're often scratching their head. Now, we are a for-profit business. We pay taxes. We compete, you know, with the Starbucks and the Nestle's and, and whomever. Um, but we seem to have this non-profit type of mission where we're trying to we're voluntarily paying farmers more. We're taking on more risk ourselves. Uh, the founders shared the company in equal parts with all the employees. And it seems like, you know, those three gentlemen, the entrepreneurs, that they, quote, left money on the table. Um, now, however, so many of the things that uh, that they've done and that we as a business have done have been a big part of our success. So, so now we are a $60 million business, but that doesn't mean we would have been so big had they decided to run just a conventional business. So, for example, sure, we pay farmers more, but also we get more loyalty from them. You know, if there's a bad crop, they're going to fulfill their contracts to us first. We're going to get the best quality of their coffee. And we've gotten a lot of uh, free publicity, a lot of endorsements, because we do the right thing. And so, for example, there's a dozen different faith-based groups that have partnered with us, and they promote what we do to the Baptist community, to the Lutheran, the Presbyterian, the Methodist community, because they're excited about what we're doing. So the fair trade thing has also paid these, quote, dividends to us. Regarding worker ownership, uh, yes, the founders have shared the business and the and the, uh, the wealth generated with everybody, but it's really led to great uh, employee commitment and loyalty. Um, the, there's a lot of also remember I mentioned all these faith-based partners of ours. They appreciate the fact that we have this egalitarian, you know, fair distribution of ownership. So they would not have endorsed us otherwise had we not had this co-op model. Um, and this has happened over and over again. So, for example, uh, you know, your sponsor, the National Co-op Bank, they were one of our very first lenders uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. They would not have lent us money had we not been a cooperative. You know, we would not have had, had access to that. And, again, today – uh, they are, again, one of our bankers. We have a $2.5 million line of credit with the National Co-op Bank. Uh, we have checking services with them. We wouldn't have that option if we weren't a cooperative. Um, so and I, I have a – there's actually a whole hour-long talk I give <laughs> on this topic um, where 
supposedly the generous thing that uh, we did or the founders did has repeatedly come back to us, you know, again, like karma, where we did the right thing, but we also derived some other benefit, not just a good feeling, we actually derived a benefit that made us more viable as a business. So in short, often doing the right thing or the noble thing um, can also help make you a more viable enterprise. You know, I think that's why I love co-ops so much. And once I've learned about them, and the reason I start off by asking you, how did you get involved? Because I knew nothing about co-ops through my formal education, couple master's degrees. Nowhere did I hear about this model. And it wasn't until I started managing uh, properties, uh, housing cooperatives, that's what I do as a full-time job as a property manager, that I found out about these. And that's the more I learn about co-ops, the more I I love them. I love it. It's the passion of the golden rule, doing the right thing for – you're doing the right thing for a whole host of people. That Your employees, your employees are people, everyday people that can not only make a living, but they have a say in how the business works through voting, the Democratic you talked about, and they get part of the dividend so they can create wealth. Uh, it's fascinating. Huh? That's why I say, why aren't there more? Well, there – well, uh Let's get back to why are there not more. It depends what your goal is. Now, so many entrepreneurs, their goal is not to create jobs or, you know, spread the wealth. Their goal is, well, many people, they just love what they're doing. They like to build cars or write software or cut hair, whatever it is, and they want a business where they can do the thing they love. That's fine. Uh, Some people, they want to make money. They want to create a successful business, grow it, sell it. Or, you know, run it for a long time. Um, now, if your goal is to create wealth or create jobs or, you know, provide, you know, good financial services to your community, then maybe it's, oh, a co-op can do that. I will start a credit union. I will start a food co-op so that my neighborhood has affordable, high-quality um, food, healthy food. Uh, there in D.C., there's a great food co-op, uh, Tacoma Park, Silver Spring. Um, there, that was founded by people in the neighborhood who wanted a certain kind of grocery store, so they did it themselves. And that might be the mantra for co-ops, and that is, let's do it ourselves. Uh, for years, and this is going way back into the 20s, 30s, 1940s, large parts of the United States still did not have electricity because the you know, conventional uh, utility companies couldn't be bothered to run wires, you know, out to, you know, rural Nebraska or, you know, northern Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people in those communities, they had to go do it themselves, start what are called uh, rural electric co-ops. And so now, measuring by, you know, a square miles, 40% of the U.S. is served by electric co-ops not by, you know, NSTAR, National Grid, or Con Edison. So, again, that's that idea that people can start an enterprise to provide any kind of good or service, and it's a totally different animal from starting a business because you want to get wealthy or starting a business because you like to do X, Y, Z. You know, the people who start co-ops have a, a broader set of, you know, constituents that they're trying to serve. A gentleman by the name of Papa Sin from Senegal was on a program, and he said that uh, co-ops have started to solve some community need. If there's no community need, no community problem, then there's no need for a co-op. And, but what community doesn't have problems? Yeah, that's it. So every, <laughs> every community could use yeah. a co-op. People coming together, as in Silver Springs, or there's another food co-op in Greenbelt, Maryland, they could come together and provide the food or provide the electricity or telephones and, uh, or, or help farmers in uh, to get a fair price. Uh, and, and now, you know, there are more worker co-ops uh, being started in Washington, D.C., which is a very exciting development. Yes, and um, I want to try to get some of them on, on the uh, program. But, you know, <clears throat> going back to NCB, the National Co-op Bank was founded in the 80s to just do this to, to help organizations like Eco Exchange, and they have a very tough job. I, 
ask Chuck Snyder, how do you do it? Because most bankers have to make sure that you can pay it back. And so they look for people that already have capital, already have money, already have resources to loan money to because they have a better chance of getting it back. If they don't pay it, then they can go grab something. But when you get a company like Equal Exchange that gets getting started and they have this great idea of doing the right thing, then normal bankers would not fund them, okay? They have no track record. Right, no collateral. Yep. And so here the National Co-op Bank would come in and make those loans early on and still continue 28 years later with a $2.5 million line of credit. So that's why NCB is here, and that's why they're sponsoring this program, so more and more people would want to do the right thing and solve whatever the community problem that they may have, uh, come together and learn about how to do it together. Um, and you've been working there since how long have you said? Nineteen years? Uh ninety six. So I'm coming up on my nineteenth anniversary. Do you like what you do? I love what I do. Um I was talking with a, a friend uh he doesn't work here, he works for an allied organization. And he said that you probably have the best job in the coffee industry. Um which I always thought I had a great job. And when he said it, that made me feel that much better. But as a like your listeners don't know it yet, but you know, we do more than coffee. We do chocolate and bananas and tea and dried fruit. And so by definite, by extension, I have the best job in the chocolate industry. I have the best job in the banana industry. <laughs> you know, I love telling people about what we're doing and about these alternatives that we're trying to promote. And, yes, it's very gratifying. I, um, I'm almost speechless when you say the best job. You, you've got the best job, and therefore when you go – do you ever get up in the morning and say, boy, I don't want to go to work? Uh, no. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, uh, it's been a, a real pleasure. And I think that um, it's something we hear a lot uh, from people here. A lot of what we do is like what you would find at another coffee company or a tea company. But why we do it is different. How we do it is different. The way that the that the profits or losses are distributed is different. Um, and that makes a big difference. So, y- yeah, you may be picking orders in the warehouse, but the context is different, and that changes everything. And I, the, 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 I, I don't think that can be – I don't think you can uh, say enough uh, about what that means. I think it's a real shame that more people don't have – Work that is, you know, truly gratifying, that that does more than pay the rent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that no job should be you know, soul crushing. That's a complaint we hear a lot. Some jobs they pay better or worse, but even some of the ones that pay well, you know, just crush people. They're demoralizing. You don't know. You have no access to information about your your business. You have no control. You're just sort of. Um, uh, you know, at the whim of other people's decisions. And in a worker cooperative, it's not like that. You know, we as a group, you know, 117 of us now, we're making the very biggest uh, decisions. We don't make every small decision like, oh, what ad should we run in the local paper? You know, that, that'll be handled by sales and marketing. Um, but we're deciding, you know, what is our purpose? How much of the profit are we going to take for ourselves, and how much are we going to reinvest in the company? We're electing our board from amongst our colleagues. We're going to represent us on the board of directors. We actually have a board of directors meeting today, and I'm going to observe that like a lot of my colleagues are going to do. Um, and th- so even while you're still you know, doing accounts payable or you're you know, making sure the lights the, 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 the making sure that the, uh, the insurance is paid or you're doing whatever you need to do, but why you do it is different. And we would love to see more worker co-ops get started and, and to grow and to offer this other kind of employment opportunity to people. It's fascinating, uh, Rodney, absolutely fascinating. Um, one, one of the things that I have learned in doing this program now, that we're in, my fi- in the 15th month, a year and three months, it's December. So, consistently, everybody's been on this program talking about how they love their job, how they love getting up in the morning and doing what they do. And they know what why they're doing it. They know the benefits of it. You were able to help smaller farmers throughout the world. You were able to help your employees, your next-door neighbor. So 
it's much bigger than, okay, we're going to get some coffee or bananas or tea. Uh, okay, we're, we're going to talk more about the products. Hi, okay. thank you for being here, and I, I'm, I really enjoyed this conversation. And because of that, next week we're having Beth Ann Casperson, who is in charge of your quality control. Correct. She'll be on next week talking about more about the farmers and what happens on the outside of the and, business. And especially about the Congo. She's the expert. Yeah, we want to get back to that because I started off by saying how, how people can uh, that's listening can help, um, and we'll talk about that. We have to take a, another break. Uh, we talked a lot about your products. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. And you know, I have one more. This hour goes by too quick. I could think I could talk to you for two or, two or three hours. Please don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. 1450 WOL. Information is power. That's why WOL has been a great partner to bring on this show with the National Co-op Bank. We're providing for you information about cooperatives. Hopefully you'll get excited about them and want to start your own cooperative. Just look around your community and see what's needed, whatever problems you might have, and a group of you could get together and form a cooperative to solve that those problems. You know, uh, Rodney, we're, you talked about the product. Um, what, I, what I would like to do is start off by telling people how they can help. And I just made a purchase. Um, I went on the web page, and the web page is www.shop, S-H-O-P, dot equal exchange, E-Q-U-A-L-E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E dot co-op. So if you go to shop.equalexchange.coop, you can buy their products. And I bought their Pansy bag, which is made by, and we'll talk more about this next week, from women in the Congo, uh, peppermint tea. Uh, I bought some hot chocolate, jasmine green tea, uh, a couple of fruit bars, some uh, uh, cashews. I bought some winter chocolate winter mints, and I bought some organic Congo coffee project, coffee. Uh, and that only came to $79, and you can put in the code VOAKS, uh, in a promotional code VOAKS, and you'll get a one-time 10% discount. Uh, so you could go on, and part of this money, particularly with the Pansy Bag and the and the uh, Congo Coffee, will go toward the folks in the Congo. This cannot be combined with any other offer, and it's, it's not valid for wholesale uh, customers, and it, this Promotion expires December 31st. But you can go to their webpage and you can order. And what excited me about this is that I'm helping five groups of people all the way through the Congo, the workers and the farmers. Um, I'm also helping. I'm going to be giving some gifts, I'm going back on and giving some gifts. So I'm going to help my friends to under, have good products. I did, uh, when Rodney and I did meet once here in D.C., and he gave me the, their, one of their bars, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm diabetic, Rodney, so I got to find out if this is helping or hurting my diabetes, though, because it was really great. Uh, um, well, I also know that you're very smart, and you'll figure it out. Okay. Who are your uh, your customers then? Uh, so our customers can be found uh, anywhere, and any of your listeners might be one of our customers, and may not they may not even know it. So obviously, uh, not obviously, but because we import and sell a wide variety of things. Uh, mostly organic, all of this fair trade, but it includes coffee, tea, bananas, uh, chocolate, cocoa, dried fruit and nuts, olive oil. Um, so our customers include grocery stores like the Moms chain around the D.C. area, my organic market, TPSS, um, the Green Belt Co-op. Um, also, we have about 8,000 faith-based organizations as customers. So it could be a local Baptist church, a local synagogue, or Methodist church. And we have about 8,000 of those. And here the congregations, most of them serve coffee, and they've switched. You know, they've gotten rid of the Folgers, and they've introduced uh, us. Uh, many congregations also like to do holiday bazaars where they're going to sell crafts. And increasingly, churches like to use uh, – Fair trade bazaars where they know that 
the the food products or the scarves and the the housewares and the jewelry are being made by artisans who are paid a fair price or made by farmers who are paid a fair price and so you know at your local congregation you may see um a sale like a bazaar and many of those people are selling our products uh increasingly people just go directly to our website uh, which you mentioned shop.equalexchange.coop and they just directly make a purchase for for their home or for their small office uh, or for their congregation um, and and, there, and again there's that uh, discount <coughs> you talked about the 10% discount and there is uh, schools so many uh, you know your, you have your local elementary middle high school they are doing a fundraiser to pay for new uniforms for the band or for the you know, basketball team or soccer team job club what have you and increasingly schools are switching to ethical fundraisers like one that we offer where they're benefiting their own school even as they're also benefiting these other communities you know in Uganda or El Salvador and they and their classmates and their neighbors are learning about how our communities are linked to these other communities in the global south through this trade in products like, you know, coffee, tea, cocoa, and sugar, and that we can voluntarily make an ethical choice where we can feel good about how the money is flowing back to these farmers around the world, and at the same time, we're raising money for the drama club. So, you know, it's a classic win-win situation, and it's a learning opportunity at the same time. So you can do good all over the place. And I, I've got to tell you, the listeners out there, when I made this purchase, went online a couple of days ago and, and made this order, I have never spent my money and felt better because I know that in buying these products – that I'm getting a good product and I'm helping the smaller farmers throughout the world and I'm helping the folks in the Congo. And I don't like when I read the articles that eight, that 48 women are raped every hour in the Congo because I don't know how to help. I don't know how to, what I can do, but in, in buying these products from eco exchange, it helps monetarily. And I really like that. That made me feel yeah. very good. So thank you for providing me that opportunity. Sure. And just a, a quick uh, so FYI, for people who want to know more about that and what we're doing in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, you know, formerly known as Zaire, uh, they can just Google uh, Congo Coffee Project, and that'll take them to their website, and they can read the, the story. My colleague Beth Ann will be on next week. She was just there uh, visiting with them, and we're not only importing coffee from a farmer co-op in the Congo, but in that same area, this is the eastern Congo, the, the, the most uh, sort of a troubled part of the Congo where most of the violence is. There's a wonderful hospital called the Pansy Hospital it's for women, uh, the victims of uh, many, all kinds of women, but especially the victims of sexual assault, which is a rampant problem over there. And part of our work is raising money for the hospital, especially our sale of these beautiful bags made by the women who are at the hospital who are um, being treated and being given job training. Uh, and part of the job training is the production of these bags, which we sell on our online store. So, again, to Google the Congo Coffee Project. Well, that's the first thing I ordered was a pansy bag. It, it cost $29. It looks great. I'm, I was really hoping that it may have come today so I could have brought it up here and talked about it. Um, but uh, I... <laughs> Again, I like uh, for only twenty nine dollars to buy the bag. The price was absolutely right too, but I like spending my money knowing that it's do I get a good product and it's doing good. That that's a wonderful feeling. Uh, you know, the hour is almost gone. Uh, I I like to talk about the seven principles, and I'm going to go through them really quick and say whatever you need to say. But you're in in Eco Exchange. It is volunteer and open membership. Is that right? Correct, and that's true for any co-op. So you can't, somebody can't stick you into a co-op uh, without your, you know, without your consent. 
um, you would join uh, voluntarily. And it's democratically member-controlled. That's what we've already talked about. You get to vote. Correct? Yeah, yep. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like I said, we're going to have a, a board meeting later today. And the people on the board, you know, uh, I have the option of nominating people for the board. Um, I got to participate in the vote. I myself have served on the board for six years. And, and this, again, would be true for all kinds of cooperatives. The business is accountable to the members of the co-op. What I also like that you said is that even if you're not on the board, you can go listen to the board meeting. You can go, any yeah. member can come in and be a part or listen. Oh, yeah, and, and also the, the newer people who are not yet members, they too, they're encouraged to attend the board meeting and to observe. So total transparency, you get to see yeah, what's going on. Totally you know, unheard of uh, for most <laughs> companies. Members, economic participation, we've already talked about that. There's a pay-in of $3,500, but you get uh, part of the dividend, so it works both ways. There's a pay-in yeah. and... But also, we're on the hook. If, you know, if we make mistakes and we do stupid things and we start losing money, we also bear some of the loss. And that is a, that's a, very, that has, that has a very healthy kind of discipline that it enforces. It's autonomous and independent. Uh, nobody can come in, government official or banker, and try to tell you how to run it. The, the members have to run it. Right. <clears throat> Education and training is my favorite, and you've already talked about that, that they even have a mentor. You have to yeah. uh, know about it in order. And if I guess if somebody didn't learn, you wouldn't want them to beca become a, a member, an owner. Right. And so, again, we're talking about the five principles of co-ops. And so all co-ops should be educating their members like the food co-ops are excellent about this. They do a lot to educate their members about, you know, the food you eat, the issues related to the food. And in this case, you know, we're a worker co-op educating people about owning their business. Cooperation among cooperatives. We've talked, we've talked about that. We could spend another hour talking about what all you all do with that one. But you have something you call, you call it double cooperative? Well, so I've told you about if you buy some of our coffee, it's a double co-op product. It was grown by farmer co-ops, then roasted, packaged, distributed by us, a worker co-op. So there's two layers of cooperation there. Uh, that's what I meant by double co-op. Okay. And the last one is concern for the community, which is what yeah. you do, and even in starting it and you looking for a place to work. Yeah, and the, our all of our fair trade work, is a great manifestation of our concern for community. Um, and, and it shows up in other ways as well. Like we give away about 10% of our profits every year to other people working in. we got to go, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> community. I'm sorry. Thank you so much, Roddy, for being on. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next Thursday. Have a wonderful day.